Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Our weekly get-together to sit around and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds for this week. And alongside our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue from down in the Cincinnati area. Mark, how you doing today? Hello, Mark. Are you there? David, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but we're having some technical issues here. I cannot hear you, so I'm going to be calling you back. I hope you can hear me. I can hear Mark just fine, but evidently we are having some technical issues. I'm not quite sure what they are. But anyway, we'll get back in touch with Mark here in just a few minutes. But we've got a nice guest coming up this evening. If you were privy to the show last week, you heard that I got upset over the fact that the uh, Cleveland Indians were unable to be put onto Dish Network, and I happen to be a subscriber to Dish Network. Well, Sports Time Ohio is the Cleveland Indians' flagship television station, and Dish Network is in a rate dispute with the Cleveland Indians. Kevin Kleps is from Crane's Cleveland Business, and he wrote an article about a week and a half ago regarding this rate dispute. And we're going to be talking to him tonight and find out just what the inside story is. Why Sports Time Ohio is has basically shut down operations with the uh, Dish Network company and how we are unable to watch Cleveland Indians baseball on Dish Network. But Kevin seems to think that there will be uh, a remedy to this situation coming up and probably just the day before the season begins. But we'll find out what's happening. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to him in just a little bit. Now let's see if we can get back down to Cincinnati and make contact with Goodbye. Mark Donahue. Mark, are you there? And for some reason tonight, Mark is having problems hearing us. I'm not quite sure what the situation is here with, with Mark, but we're uh, Mark is having a tough time hearing what is going on here tonight. I think he's having some definite computer issues here this evening. But it is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Hope you've got your green beer all set up and ready to talk some baseball here this evening. I'm going to channel my inner Harry Carey and uh, find out just what in the world uh, Harry would think about sitting down talking some baseball with a green Budweiser here tonight. But earlier today, the Reds and the Indians played in Goodyear, Arizona, and it ended up being a 5-4 to four Cincinnati victory over the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the one thing that I do got to say about this game this afternoon, even though I didn't get a chance to see it, I did, did get to see the highlights on the Indians and the Reds network, are on their website uh, is simply that the Reds uniforms today were absolutely atrocious. They were terrible. Uh, they were red uniforms with green numerals and hats in honor of St. Patrick's Day. I understand that. But still, those Reds uniforms looked absolutely atrocious. That, that, that's one thing that I've, I've got to say about uh, what happened there. Now, other than that, Nick Swisher got a home run today, which was his second of the year. Joey Votto for the Indians went two for four, or for the Reds, I'm sorry, 
went two for four. Todd Frazier got involved in the onslaught today when the Reds scored three runs in the bottom of the first inning. Um, and when he he got the, the Reds started with a two-run triple to right and then came home on a sacrifice fly. Uh, Mike Leak pitched four innings in today's game for the Reds, and it seems like he may be ready for the regular season. He gave up only three hits, one earned run, and struck out six in the four innings of work this afternoon. Corey Kluber for the Indians. Uh, The announcers for the Indians earlier today seemed to think that maybe Kluber was suffering from a dead arm. He pitched four and a third innings in the game. Uh, He also gave up seven hits, three earned runs, and he struck out five in the contest. So Corey Kluber uh, may be suffering a little bit from a dead arm, but uh, anyway, the Reds went on to win this afternoon's game 5-4. to four. And now let's uh, check and see if we can talk with Mark Donahue now. Mark, can you hear us? I can. I don't know what magic you wove, but I can now hear you fine. <laughs> okay, there we go. We were just talking about this afternoon's ball game, a 5-4 to four Reds win. And the one thing I did want to point out about the game today, Mark, was the Reds-Indians looked atrocious. The, their uniforms looked terrible. Yeah, I saw that today. Uh, I don't know why the Reds are, are going to that uh, that that kind of uniform, but um, I was I was more taken by something you brought up earlier. Maybe you mentioned it when I was off the air about Bernardino, and uh, I think this guy can make a real contribution to the Reds this year. Uh, if you recall, a couple of years ago in Washington, he was he was considered a, a up and coming superstar, and the Reds got him uh, I, I think at the right time, and I think he can help. Well, that was one of the things I wanted to bring up. You know, Bernadina, he's battling for a backup center field position, backup outfield position. He's hitting over 400 this spring. I think he's been, uh, as you said, pretty much of a pleasant surprise for the Reds so far. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The Reds have Chris Heisey, who is smacking the ball. He's he's leading uh, at least the Arizona League uh, in home runs and RBIs. And he claims it's because he changed his batting stance, which can can help. Uh, it can sometimes turn a, a player around. But he has had so many chances to clamp clamp onto a starting position when people got hurt last year and the year before and the year before, and he hasn't done it. So I, I'm hoping that Bernardina uh, will, will seize this opportunity if given to him and give the Reds a, a really quality center fielder to back up Hamilton. Will they go into the regular season, Mark, do you think, with, with five outfielders? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, Sizemore, um, he, he can play outfield and infield, and uh, I, I think they'll keep him. I mean, the Reds have a really good bench this year if, if everybody lives up to their baseball card. So uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest improvement this team has made because last year and the year before, they had an atrocious atrocious bench, and I think that cost them at least four or five games last year. Todd Frazier seems to be hitting the ball a little bit better this year. He's got a 276 batting average coming into today's game. Well, the thing I like about Frazier, <clears throat> apparently he hit the weight room pretty hard this year, and I'll tell you, he, he is stupid strong to begin with, 
And it to me, it looks like he's getting what they call easy power. Uh, when he hits a ball, it doesn't appear that he got all of it, and he hits it 450 feet. I mean, this guy hit a home run I saw last year. I think it was against Samarja, the Cubs, over the center field fence in Great American Ballpark, up on that boat on top of the center field fence. It must have been 500 feet. And it looked like he, you know, took kind of a just an easy swing. And if if he and Mezzarocco and Zach Cozart, if they can just hit 250 for this team this year, that's all they have to do. This team is going to score a whole bunch of runs because they've got the the, the studs at the top of the order. <clears throat> what they need are guys in the sixth, seventh, and eighth hole to to pick up the slack. And uh, Frazier could be a huge asset if he hits like everybody thinks he's going to hit. Well, what I thought was impressive, and I saw it on the highlights. Again, I couldn't watch the game on TV today, but we'll get into more of that later. But what I was impressed by with Frazier was something that he didn't do last year a whole heck of a lot, and that is go to right field with an outside pitch. And he did that in the very first inning for a two-run triple. <clears throat> yeah, I saw that, and i tell you, if he... The biggest thing I've seen from him hitting-wise, aside from the strength, is his ability to go the other way and to, and, and to wait for the pitch. He's he, Last year and the year before, he lunged every time. And he, as a result, he would come up with the ugliest swings you've ever seen from a major league player, completely fooled, and hit out you know, one foot, his front foot, and throw the bat at the ball and just look terrible. He's staying back. But it all may be related. When you are really strong in your arms and your forearms, you can you can wait for the pitch longer than a guy who has to load up. You've got to load up. You've got to get all your weight going forward, and it's easy to be fooled. And that's what Frazier did his first two years. But uh, uh, so far, and we're still in spring training, obviously, so far it looks like his approach is much better He's waiting for the pitch, and he can take that pitch to right field, like you pointed out. Well, there's two weeks to go from today before the regular season starts. Now, what Brian Price and Terry Francona, is their mindset starting to change now to stretch out the starters a little bit more, start playing their, their starting lineup a little bit more in these last two weeks heading into the opening day? Oh, of course, and I, I think what – Somebody said it uh, the other day on, on ESPN. The managers don't start managing in spring training until the last week or ten days. They're still playing with, uh, you know, fifty-man rosters and trying to get some minor leaguers a look and resting their starters who play only three days a week. So it, there's really nothing to manage at this point. But now you're going to get into situations where you're going to see hit and runs, hitting behind the runner, uh, sacrifices, pitch outs the kinds of things that you have to do during the regular season. And speaking of those pitch outs, uh, Billy Hamilton, uh, it doesn't matter if you pitch out or not, uh, so far this guy has lived up to every expectation, and if he can carry on what he's done in the regular season, uh, it's going to be a tremendous asset for the Reds throughout the year. But uh, you, you're going to see Price and Francona begin to manage, certainly, more fervently than they've done so far. And I, I think those are two damn good managers. Mark, I've got a buddy of mine out in Arizona, and he was two rows behind the Reds' dugout today, 
sent me a couple of pictures of Billy Hamilton. And, of course, he's a Reds fan, or an Indians fan, doesn't know much about the Reds. Sent me a couple pictures of Billy Hamilton via text and asked me, who is this guy? He looks like the ball boy. And he told me later on that he is just as frail as frail could be. Is Billy Hamilton that frail, and is he going to be able to withstand 160 games at the major league level? Well, the answer your second question first, no, he won't. He won't be able to stand it. And that's why I hope they play him about 120 games this year. Uh, let him, you know, work up his strength. Uh, he, he is a frail guy, but he's also very strong. And uh, they had a picture of him with his shirt off in, in the Reds dugout or in the Reds clubhouse a couple of weeks ago. And he's very, very slender, but he's got surprisingly muscular arms, which is what you need to hit. You, you don't need, you know, a huge body to hit. You need you need strong arms and wrists and forearms, and he's got that. And it, there's a fine line there. I would say Billy Hamilton, if you're waiting today, he's 155 to 160. Uh, he can't get much lighter than that, or he, he's not going to be able to steal bases. He, he's not going to have the endurance to do it. But I think the Reds are smart enough, and that's why I really like Bernardino coming in there and, and spelling him a couple games a week so this kid can rest because he'll, he'll be stealing so many bases and I remember playing baseball, and, and, and base stealing is the most tiring part of playing baseball. And if you're doing it, even if you have attempted steals, you're going full bore, and you could do that nine, ten times a game, and that's that's very tiring. Well, not even including the, the starts of a steal and a foul back, and well, you got to go all the way back and start all over again. That's right, and then he's play, also playing center field, which is a lot of running out there, so... Uh, you bring up a very good point, and your friend is correct. Uh, but I, I would be surprised if he plays more than 115 to 120 games this year. We're going to talk with Kevin Kleps of Cranes Cleveland Business coming up in just a little bit on the STO Dish Network uh, television rights squabble. That will be coming up here in about five or ten minutes. Mark, as we get closer, Justin Masterson for the Indians and Josh Tomlin for the Indians. They've been stretched out to five innings so far, and Masterson is just looking masterful in his last two starts. He was offering the Indians a four-year deal at $60 million. It's probably going to be after spring training, a four-year deal at $70 million. But nonetheless, Tomlin's looking pretty good. Mike Leake for the Reds looked pretty good today. Four innings pitch, three hits, one earned run, and six strikeouts. You know, he's the guy that He's the sleeper almost every year. You know, people forget he won 14 games last year. And he, he has a great winning percentage uh, after, I think this is what, his fourth year with the Reds. And they have really got a, a pitcher here. And the question is going to be, as we talked about last night, if you're the Cincinnati Reds in the next two years, how do you afford that pitching staff? It, it would arguably be one of the better pitching staffs in baseball and – I think all those guys are between 24 and 28. Nobody's over 28 years old. So you're going to have all these young guys commanding $100 million contracts, and that doesn't work with the Reds' budget. You can't pay your starting rotation $500 million. It just it, it doesn't work, even if you spread it over the over you know 10 years. So the, the Reds have some really tough decisions to make in the next couple of years. Uh, and, and what scares me about the Reds is they've got great pitching, 
and I think they have probably the weakest farm team when it comes to position players in baseball. I was looking at, and I've heard you talk about some of the guys that the Indians have, and it seems to me the strength of the Indians is just the reverse. They have more high prospects that are pitch position players than they do pitchers. So, you know, you match those teams up and you have a great organization. Yeah, and what the Indians did uh, earlier this week, which kind of segues right into what I wanted to talk about also, Francisco Lindor and Tyler Naquin have been sent down to Columbus, so they'll start out the year in Columbus. But like I talked about last week, Mark, if Lindor gets off to a good start in Columbus, the Indians could always use as Drupal Cabrera as trade bait come the trading deadline and bring up Lindor and put him at shortstop and probably, at least in the field, not miss a beat. So Cabrera could be really used as, as a trade uh, chip come July 31st. Well, if you were if you were the general manager of the Indians, knowing what you know about the team today, and that could change as, as the season unfolds, but if you were to trade Cabrera, who would you go after? What do you think the greatest need for the Indians is today, uh, not knowing what's going to happen, say, by June 15th? Absolutely. Today is a power hitter. They need somebody that they can slide into that fourth spot so they can move Carlos Santana down to number five and it strengthens the entire lineup. But if they don't get that kind of a, a hitter, then they've got to rely upon nine guys every game and hoping somebody has a hot game. And that happened a year ago, and the Indians made the playoffs. Can it happen a second straight year? I don't know. And... I don't know if you've heard this or not, but Jason Giambi is out for at least the first three or four weeks of the regular season, probably through the month of April, as he cracked a rib on a check swing a, a few days ago. But it's, even at his most healthy, is he a guy that you could have depended on this year to deliver anything more than a, a 210 batting average and maybe seven or eight home runs? No. As far as performances considered, no, I mean, that's about the, the best that you can hope for out of Jason Giambi. As far as his presence in the clubhouse, which he's probably still going to be able to have, um, I think that's priceless. Uh, you, you look at what he did for that team last year, and he's really a coach, but a player coach. And he's the type of guy, Mark, that you can go up and you can talk baseball, and I've heard Francona say this hundreds of times, that you can go up and you can you can listen to him talk baseball and you're just mesmerized at what he knows about the game. And, you know, I've told you this on the air and off the air, Mark. I think Colorado made a drastic mistake a year ago when they hired Walt Weiss as their manager and not Giambi. And I think they're going to come back and really rue that decision. Is Walt Weiss a good manager? The the it's still out. The jury's still out on whether or not he can be. But when you hire basically a high school baseball coach to come in and manage a major league baseball team, and you've got a guy like Jason Giambi in your own backyard ready to manage that ball club, Mark, I, I think you got to go with a Giambi and not a Weiss. Yes, but what I heard was that Giambi 
wanted to play two more years. He didn't want to manage last year. Did you hear something? Oh, no, he, he wanted to manage. Oh, did he? Yeah, he, he applied for the job. Oh, okay, I thought that his stipulation was he wanted to play one or two more years or even be a player manager, but uh, I, I, I heard that, you know, third hand, so. Yeah, well, we'll get we'll get into that more here in just a little bit, but, you know, last week, as I said at the top of the show, Mark, and you were privy to me going off the deep end about this dispute going on between the Sports Time Ohio, the Cleveland Indians flagship television station and Dish Network, and I'm actually, I had somebody tell me this week that I'm taking this thing personally. You're right, I am taking this thing personally because I'm a subscriber to Dish Network, and I want to watch my Cleveland Indians. And I had an opportunity to see a, an article a few days ago by Kevin Kleps from Crane's Cleveland Business. And it was on this dispute. And I invited Kevin on, and Kevin joins us now on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Kevin, how are you tonight? Good. How are you guys doing? Hi, right, Kevin. Oh, this is just great. I'm Dave. This is Mark. Hi, Dave. <laughs> and Hi, Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> let, me, let, let me go. This, this article, I think you wrote it around uh, the end of February, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. I was going to touch back uh, with the two parties in another week or so here as we get closer to the season to see if anything's happened. But as far as I know, they're not moving. <laughs> well, let me make sure that I've got this correct. Okay. I want to get this order right for for the people who are listening in. Sports Time Ohio was sold to Fox Sports Ohio a little over a year ago. Yes, end of uh, okay. 2012. Okay. Now, Sports Time Ohio is now in the rate dispute with DISH, but Fox Sports Ohio, which owns Sports Time Ohio, is still on DISH. Yeah, it's, it's goofy because of the way the – normally when you have these channels that are owned – they're, or that have the same owner, they're on the same schedule with the with each uh, provider. But this one is different because when the Indians sold Sports Time Ohio to Fox Sports Ohio, Fox Sports Ohio already had a contract with Dish that ran for such and such a period of time, and it was not in line with the Sports Time Ohio contract because Sports Time Sports Time Ohio at the time wasn't owned by. Fox Sports was owned by the Indians, so that's why it's different. I'm sure once, if they get to the point where they negotiate this one through, I would think they would, normally they match up the contracts, and I don't think you'll have this problem in the future where you have Fox Sports Ohio on dish, but then a station that they own not. It just It's goofy just because of the timing of the sale with the Indians in 2012. Yeah, I had seen that on Twitter from Ohio Media Watch, Kevin, as far as Fox wanted to get their contracts all pretty much in sync with each other. Do you have any idea what their contract, when their contract is coming up? You know what? They don't tell, they don't, uh, give that information out, and I haven't heard anything as far as the exact timing of it. Uh, they, when it comes to any kind of contract details, these stations are very tight lipped about that kind of stuff. I haven't heard an actual time frame, but I do know that they want to get it in sync with uh, the Sports Time Ohio deal. So I don't know if that's going to happen once this goes through immediately or if it's going to take some renegotiating with the other deal. But I'm sure as, this, as the season gets closer here, 
that I don't know if it's going to take dish subscribers losing an Indians game or two, but any kind, anytime there's any kind of deadline that's <clears throat> once the once you start missing games, that's when these companies usually spring into action because they're going to end up losing subscribers the longer this goes on. Hey, Kevin, this is Mark Donahue. I have a question for you beyond uh, Cleveland. Uh, here, down here in Cincinnati, uh, there's a rumor, and it's it's been out there for a while, that the Reds are going to be developing their own TV network that they're going to manage. Do you see that as the ultimate trend for these organizations, like the Yes Network in New York and others, uh, that they're going to morph into their own television production facilities? Yeah, I, I think it, you're going to see a lot of the teams doing it. I know. I don't know a lot about the Reds' uh, workings, but I know what the Indians, when they sold that uh, – they developed that station and it turned into a huge moneymaker for them. Then they turned around and sold it to Fox Sports Ohio for, I think it was around, oh, I want to say $400, $450 million. And, and they're still, so they turn around and sell this network to Fox Sports Ohio. And then Fox Sports Ohio is paying them right fees each year in the 40 million range. So they're, it's the way to go. You can, you can set your own ad rates. You can sell your own ads. You can, then you, these, Stations end up being worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and if you want, you can turn around and sell them, and then still get rights. So, yeah, I think you're going to see more and more teams doing this. You're already seeing more and more and more teams doing it. Yeah. Our guest here tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show is Kevin Kleps, assistant editor for Cranes Cleveland Business. Kevin, uh, what is Sports Time Ohio asking for? Do you have any idea? To have Have you been able to ascertain what they're they're trying to get? No, they, these kind of negotiations, they'll never tell you. I know that DISH is known for taking a pretty hardline stance against these, uh, regional sports networks. Some of these, uh, other, uh, providers, like, talk a, a tough game, but when it comes down to it, they usually end up caving because they don't want to lose out on any programming. But DISH is known for being more of a hardline negotiator than some of the other ones, so, I don't know what exactly they're asking for, but these—that's the problem with these these channels. All these regional sports networks and ESPN and Fox Sports One—they all charge these exorbitant rights fees, and these companies, providers, end up caving because they don't want to lose programming, they don't want to lose customers. But then, what do they do? They turn around and they pass the costs on to the consumer. So it's just—it's getting worse and worse. The more these uh, these rights fees with some of these packages, like especially with college football and the NFL and the NBA, they it just gotten out of hand. So it ends up getting passed on to the consumer. As far as what they're actually asking, I, I really don't know. They don't tell you that kind of stuff, and who knows? But I know that that's becoming more and more of a problem in sports. Is the, the higher these rights fees goes, the higher our cable bills and satellite bills get. You know, the irony of all this in terms of just the the, the business, the enterprise part of, of baseball, is the television revenues are exceeding the revenues from ticket sales, and it's going to exceed, it's going to expand that. It, it puts yep. a different onus on the entire organizational structure of a baseball team. Yeah, it really does. And they're, the, the smaller market teams like the Indians and probably to an extent the Reds still rely heavily on the gate revenues because they don't have the they don't get the local TV rights that the other that the Yankees do and the Dodgers do but teams like the Yankees and Dodgers in baseball they just they're on different playing fields because they're getting so much TV money 
And with the way revenue sharing is in baseball, they don't have to share as much as it's not split evenly like it is with the NFL and the NBA. So they're on a much different playing field. But yeah, it's, uh, it's getting, it's getting kind of crazy. Well, as a dish subscriber, Kevin, I, I can tell you that I have called their customer service and I have let them know of my displeasure over the fact that I have lost several channels throughout the years. Have it, have, I've had a $5 rate increase uh, placed upon me just in the last three months. And the channels that I'm losing, I could care less about, but now they're starting to mess with me with Sports Time Ohio. I'm ready to move, and their comment to me on customer service has been, well, you know you're going to get that anywhere you go, um, which is absolutely true. But with that in mind, what is it going to take for DISH and Sports Time Ohio to come together and get this thing taken care of? Because we are only two weeks away from opening day. I think what it's going to take is you start missing some games, and that's when it really, that's when the, you know what really hits the fan. Because once Indians fans aren't affected that much now, because I don't know how much spring training game, unless you're an absolute diehard, you're not watching a lot of spring training baseball, and you might not be missing some of the other programming they have until the actual season starts, and you want to watch post game shows and pre game shows and all that stuff. Once you start missing games, that's when you're going to have the customers get more and more irate, and that's when you're going to have, I would, I, I'm sure they've already lost some, but I would think it's a marginal number. But once they, once you start losing games, that's when they're, they're going to really start seeing their subscribers either threatening to cancel or actually canceling. And that's when, that's when the urgency steps up, and that's when I would think this deal gets done. I would, Indian start in two weeks, so I would think this thing's a couple weeks away from being resolved, if not a little bit more than that. You know, one, one final question, Kevin, before we let you go here tonight. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what, what's your opinion of the uh, Time Warner and Comcast get-together? It's Unfortunately, it's, just, it's the way it is. I mean, these these cable companies and these media companies and everything, every, it seems like the bigger you are, the better chance you have of merging or getting bought out by somebody else. And the more this happens, then you have these monopolies, and they can charge whatever they want, and it it, it affects all of us. I mean, we're going to be – these bills are – our cable bills, our satellite bills, they're just going to keep going up. I mean, five bucks here, five bucks there, it's, it's not changing, unfortunately, unless you just don't – unless you go the Netflix route and you just get rid of it like some people do. But then the thing about that is that you can't watch live sports that way. So if you're a sports fan, you're – you don't have many options. You also do a sports biz blog for uh, Crane's Cleveland business. Tell us about that, Kevin. Yeah, I uh, try to have some fun with it. I, I write four or five blogs a week, and I do other uh, sports biz stuff. We, we I write quite a bit on the Indians and the business of tickets and all that good stuff. And I the Cavs and Browns, Cleveland is so crazy about the Browns that there's always something going on with that. So. I try to keep up with the three big pro teams in town and mix in some colleges and all that kind of stuff. Just try to have some fun with it. It's at cranescleveland.com. Well, let me ask you one one other quick question. Is Cleveland going to be able to sustain two sports talk radio stations? They have so far. I know the ratings aren't good for 
Well, WKNR 850 doesn't subscribe to Arbitron, so their their ratings aren't made available. But 92.3 is a member of Arbitron, and their ratings have been pretty darn well. I KNRs I don't think are that much better, but as far as I know, KNR has beat them in the ratings. But yeah, they have sustained it. The fans been around. Oh man, a couple years now. I, I don't think it's actually maybe a year and a half, but yeah, they they sustained it, but. It does, uh, it gets a little watered down. You can only talk so much rounds and, uh, on, around the clock. So yeah, and it's worked so far, but I don't know if it's going to be 10 years from now. I'm not sure if I'll be saying the same thing. Amen to that. Amen to that, Kevin. And so your prediction is it'll probably be taken care of pretty close to opening day or just a few days after yeah. that. I would guess it would, it would be at least two weeks away. That's, first pitch for the tribe, so I would think it's going to drag down to the last minute and, if not, go a couple days into the season. That's the way these things usually And what's your work. Twitter address, Kevin? It's at Kevin Kleps, K-E-V-I-N-K-L-E-P-S. Great. Appreciate your time here this evening. Thanks a lot for coming in and straightening things out on this dispute. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Kevin Kleps, the assistant editor for Cranes Cleveland Business, He's at Kevin Kleps on Twitter, and he's also got the uh, Sports Biz uh, blog going on there at Cranes Cleveland Business. Mark, you know, I'm just hoping that sometime near opening day they get this dispute figured out, but he's absolutely right. You know, the more the these TV stations become a part of the ball clubs, the more the fan coming to the ballpark, I think, is becoming a way of the past, and you're going to find that these games, what we thought may have happened 20 years ago, if you looked into the future, where you'd be just watching it on pay-per-view on TV, we may be closer to that than we actually thought. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's interesting to note, too, that uh, they said in the paper this morning, I, I think it was 25 years ago, that 15 Reds games were on TV, and now 154 are on TV. So, obviously, baseball, with their advertising opportunities, are turning to TV in a way they had never done before. And it's, it's changed the entire dynamic of, of how a team like the Reds is an example. The Reds can compete with, with salaries because they have a huge geographic area that are Reds fans. And I would, I would bet... I don't know the statistics, but I would bet that the Reds' geographic market is far greater than Cleveland's because Cleveland has Pittsburgh to the east. They got Detroit to the north. They got the Cubs to to the to the uh, to the west, and they got the Reds south. So they're kind of hemmed in. The Reds are in seven or eight states, and they also have the Clear Channel Monster WLW that's in 19 states. It's the nation's station. So they have an opportunity on a revenue basis that the Indians don't have. Yeah, and and the Indians have had it in years past. They didn't usually spend the money, Mark, on free agents. It was only up until the last couple of years when they sold the TV station that they decided to go out and spend money on those free agents. But, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you also is, these this new generation of kids, they don't understand what it's about, I think, 
to actually listen to a ball game on the radio in its entirety. They're used to sitting down in front of the TV or in front of their mobile device and watch a game. They don't know what it's like to sit down and listen to a Marty Brenneman or a Tom Hamilton actually do the play-by-play of a game for an entire the entire game. And we may be seeing the age of baseball on the radio as hard as it may be to believe in the next 20, 25 years, even be eliminated at that point. Well, I don't think it'll ever be eliminated, but you look at the revenues comparatively between radio and TV, and it's just, it's it's night and day. And while the the Reds and other teams, obviously, have had great histories of radio broadcasters that have stayed on for 20 and 30 years at a time sometime, that that aspect of baseball being something that was just kind of in the in the background of your summer, uh, turning on the ball game at eight o'clock, and the games used to start at eight o'clock, by the way. And you know, you, you in the in the summertime, you could pick up games all over the country at night. You pick up Atlanta, pick up the Cardinals, pick up the Cubs, and I remember I had all those stations marked down in pencil next to my radio, and I would tune in every game. And that's mm-hmm. it's something the kids don't do today because they got the internet and uh, a million other things that divert them. But that is why I, baseball is concerned that the demographic of baseball today is much, much older than it was even 20 years ago. You have a much older audience. A lot of these kids, you know, instantaneous gratification. They don't want to hang around for two and a half hours on a July evening and listen to a baseball game on radio. No, and and you know, I remember many a nine volt battery I had to buy because I would fall asleep with the transistor radio, listening to a West Coast game uh, underneath my pillow. And I remember being able to get WLW down in Cincinnati, KMOX out of St. Louis. Used to be able to get uh, KDKA out of Pittsburgh, and and listen to the Pirate games all the time. Mark, you could, on an AM transistor radio at 10, 11 o'clock at night, you could pick up just about any baseball game you'd want to hear. Yeah, and remember the old great broadcasters, Bob Prince in Pittsburgh and Harry Carey in St. Louis and so many others, Milo Hamilton uh, when he was in Detroit and and Chicago, Jack Brickhouse, all those guys. Uh, It it was a passage. I mean, it it was something I, I remember just like you. And do you recall that there was a time back in the late 50s where they would have the the baseball games not live but through the Western Union office where they would go down there and the, and the play-by-play would come across Western Union in a, in a telegram, basically, and a guy like Wade Hoyt would actually read it off the teletype, but he'd make it sound like he was live. They, they even had... A, a like a miniature baseball bat when the bat when the ball was hit mm-hmm. they'd smack it so it sounded like it was live and it must have been awfully difficult to broadcast a game like that when you're when you're reading it and then relating it to your radio audience. The movie Bull Durham, the okay. announcer when the when the the Bulls are on the road he does the same thing he he's at home and people nowadays think that that was fake no they didn't do things like that yes they did that that was the way of the way of radio back then That's, it sure was and uh, it, it's amazing when you were a kid our age back in the in the fifties and sixties uh, we all did the same thing you know he was listening 
to the games at night in bed or or out in your backyard or whatever with the family just sitting around. And uh, baseball was really a way of life on radio, and, and that's what drove baseball, particularly even before us in the 30s and 40s, there was no television. It was all radio. And uh, that's how baseball grew. And it's a different audience. And I'm not saying it's, you know, things were great back then and they're terrible now. I'm not saying that. It's just different. And the audience today is different. And if Major League Baseball doesn't figure out a way to attract the young listener, uh, they're going to be in trouble because they've already lost the inner city kid. Only, mm-hmm. what, 7, 7% of all Major League Baseball players are African American? Uh, that, I mean, that is a huge market that they're not getting. And it's because kids on the inner city don't play baseball. They play football and they play basketball. So I, I'm not sure that baseball is looking out far enough to protect themselves, and they have to do something to get back into the cities and get these kids with so much talent to start playing baseball again. One final note. I remember my grandmother, Mark, sitting on the front porch of her house with her Paps Blue Ribbon in one hand, a cigarette in the other, and Ernie Harwell on the radio listening to Tiger Baseball every night during the summer. That was my grandmother. Well, that was a lot of grandmothers and a lot of grandfathers. <laughs> uh, my family fell uh, into that category. and uh, it was. I, I remember my grandfather, particularly, he and I would sit out on the front porch, and we'd just sit there. Didn't We wouldn't say a whole lot to each other, but we just listened to the ball game. And uh, mm-hmm. still see him, you know, rocking back and forth. And it was, again, it was a rite of passage. And uh, it really, you know, when I started playing baseball, when I got a little older and started playing, uh, I never lost that. I, I, I have been, I think, as you, you take those things you learn as a kid and you take them with you and you don't forget the habits. And I will probably, I will listen to every game the Reds play. Every I, I won't listen to the whole game, but I will listen somehow, some way. I will listen to just every game they play. It's a habit. I've done it for years, and I'm by no means the only one to do it. But uh, again, this is we're, we're an older generation, and I'm not sure the younger kids do that. And I'll I'll do it too. I want to let everybody know. Don't forget our second annual, the Ultimate Sports Talk dot com second annual NCAA tournament bracket challenge is coming up over the next couple of days. Prizes are going to be awarded to the top three winners, and you can contact the website at greg at ultimatesportstalk.com. That's greg at ultimatesportstalk.com to sign up. So join that contest today, the second annual NCAA Tournament Bracket Challenge here at ultimatesportstalk.com. By the way, Dave. Mark, did you do your homework assignment today? Uh, kind of, but before we get into that, I, I just want to point yeah. out something, and I'm sure, I'm sure you would have brought this up ultimately because I know the kind of guy you are. But do you recall who picked Louisville last year? Yes, I do. Okay, me. I, so did I. I picked Louisville. <laughs> I don't think you did. I think you picked someone else. But I, picked, I, I know I picked Louisville, and, and we'll get into this next week or the week after. Uh, who picked the Reds to finish third? And I, I will leave that yes. as dangling participle, but uh, I, I do have a streak going, David. Yes, you do. And it's it's something that the neighbors have called the cops on, but we won't get into that. <laughs> hey, before we go on, too, 
uh, I got an email from a friend of mine in Germany, and her name is Gretchen von Stryker, and uh, she is listening to us in Germany on the internet, uh, Reds fan, so I want to say hello, Gretchen, hope all is well. Hello. And continue to listen to us. Hello, Gretchen. Glad to have you along halfway around the world. <laughs> We're big in Germany. Mark, the, okay, I had a question come up over the weekend, and it has to do with baseball and football, and I told you about it this morning, and I told you this was going to be your homework assignment. I really am interested in an answer to this question, and it it occurred to me during the past week when all of the football free agency has been going on, and it seems like a player will get cut. For example, a Darrell Rivas gets cut from Tampa Bay. And within two days, he's signed by New England. He becomes a free agent. He's signed by New England. And, of course, the same thing happened with Brandon Whedon here in Cleveland. And within a couple of days, he is signed by the Dallas Cowboys. It seems like these players, they get free agency status, and they sign on with a new team within three or four days. On the other hand, Major League Baseball players, it seems like they just take forever before they decide where they want to sign on to. And sometimes, for example, Irvin Santana, it went into last Monday before he finally signed with the Atlanta Braves. Why is that? Why do football players sign on so quickly and baseball players drag on for months? Well, I did do some homework on this, and some of it's a subjective evaluation by those offering opinions, but it's because of collective bargaining that Major League Baseball is has a much, much better union than professional football does. And as a result, they're given more latitude, the players are, to, to wait and negotiate their deals over a longer period of time. And the, the other thing is with professional football players, it's the, the season it really begin. It, there's no off season because of weightlifting and and play study, uh, studying their plays and all these things. But the last thing was that the players are much more compelled to sign because their contracts are not guaranteed. So they want to make sure that they get a payday, and if they if they sign soon, they get paid more quickly. So it, it, there's a lot of you know opinions as to why that occurs, but basically it's because the Major League Baseball players have the best union in all of professional sports. They're giving a lot more latitude. They don't have to sign. It's a 162-game schedule. So you have some guys, if they don't sign until the middle of May, so what? They're going to get a better deal. With a football player, they don't sign. There's only 16 games, and they're going to miss a lot of the season if they don't sign early and get into camp. Well, that's about the, the most intelligent answer I think I've, I've heard, and I've heard a couple of people say the, the same thing that you have said, Mark, is that these football players, they want to get a payday as quickly as possible, and, and there's a lot more to playing with a football team. There's a lot more to learn. You know, I mean, when a pitcher goes to the mound, what are you going to do? You put, you put down a finger as a catcher, and he throws either a fastball or a curveball, and and whatever else pitch he's got, he, he doesn't really have to work with the team all year long in order to go out there and pitch, whereas a football player, you've got to know where everybody else is going to be at, and, and they like to get that done as quickly as possible so they can get in the know. Well, I'm glad I was able to solve this conundrum for you, David. 
It's been something that has been bothering me for the last few days. I, I will say that, and thank you very much, Mark. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I do want to let you know, you know, I, I, I do admit when I'm wrong. I'm not admitting I'm wrong yet. But this afternoon, ESPN carried the St. Louis-Boston game. Grady Sizemore played in center field for the Red Sox this afternoon. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see any of it or hear hear about this game. But Grady Sizemore had three hits today for the Red Sox against the Cardinals and two outstanding diving catches in center field for Boston. So I went to the stat sheet to take a look at what's going on here for Grady Sizemore. He's hitting three eighty one this spring, Mark. He's got eight hits in 21 at-bats, and he is making a bid to make this Boston Red Sox team and quite possibly be the starting center fielder on opening day. I'm not saying I'm wrong about Grady Sizemore coming back after virtually three years of being on the DL, but hey, this guy is putting up some good numbers and putting up a fight to make a major league roster. Well, there's never been any doubt about his talent. And it's a matter of can he keep it on the field and be healthy. But uh, I think the Red Sox are a deep enough organization, and there was a great article about them uh, in the, on, on, I think it was uh, MLB Today, uh, about how deep their farm system is. So they're smart enough to know that if they can play Grady, Grady Sizemore 100 games or, or 90 games, they're going to get a lot of production out of that guy because he won't get hurt. It's when you throw him out there and expect him to be a starting center fielder, and he hasn't done it in three years, where you're going to run into trouble. But you you may not be wrong yet, David. Uh, I think that the jury is still out on Grady Sizemore. And, you know, when you have injuries like he had, it's going to be awfully tough for him to come back. I hope he does. I like Grady Sizemore. I think he's a great player. And I I hope he does come back and and, and is productive. But he's got a lot of... (laughs) He's got a lot of pain to overcome between now and then. Yeah, I want to go over a few players now that are out with injuries here during spring training. Some serious, some not. First of all, Bronson Arroyo, former Reds pitcher, now with Arizona. He's out for maybe the first week of the regular season, Mark, I'm hearing, with some back spasms that that could have some structural damage that is going along with it. Did he have a history of back problems with the Reds that nobody knew about? He never missed a start. For the Reds. In fact, he never missed a start for Boston. Not one start. And when I read that, it was stunning to me that maybe the Reds knew something. That's why they didn't sign him. But, uh, you know, he wanted some big dollars. He got some big dollars from Arizona. But I, I thought it was so ironic that a guy that you brought in for his durability and the fact he has never missed a start. In fact, he had more starts in the last, I think it was the last seven years, than any pitcher in baseball. And then to have him get hurt like that is really amazing. Well, as we said earlier, also, Irvin Santana signing with the Atlanta Braves a week ago, mainly because, Mark, of this Chris Medlin and Beachy injuries. They they may both have to undergo, I know for sure that Medlin is, it's already been announced, but Beachy is going to undergo a second opinion before he undergoes Tommy John surgery. And for Medlin, Mark, this is going to be his second Tommy John surgery. Yeah, that's that's really sad. Those those are two really good young pitchers, and Beachy particularly. Uh, I know Medlin has, has prob- problems too, but 
Beachy was really lights out for, for if you remember a couple of years ago, uh, really unhittable. And to have these guys undergo this at this point in their careers is sad. And uh, you know, you know, Atlanta, uh, it's like the Reds losing Homer Bailey and uh, Matt Latos. Uh, they're that good. So uh, it's going to be tough for them to compete without at least two of their uh, starting pitchers. But hopefully uh, the second pitcher there will, will find a second opinion and, and maybe be able to avoid surgery. If he doesn't, it's it's likely these guys will not be back until the middle of 2015. You know, another one, Mark, back to Arizona. Pat Corbin has got a strained UCL, UCL and uh, they've put him – on the shelf now for at least two weeks, but it's <laughs> they're thinking he may have to undergo Tommy John surgery. Well, the only redeeming feature of Tommy John surgery is that most of these guys come back throwing about four or five miles an hour faster than they did before, which led us to a discussion not long ago. Is that is that any different than taking steroids? That if you go in and, and change the construction of your arm, is that taking advantage of technology, just like steroids takes advantage of technology? And I wonder how long it's going to be until Major League Baseball or somebody realizes that you, you build these bionic arms and come back and they're stronger than they ever were. I, I don't really see the difference between the two. I would love to have a doctor on our show sometimes seriously uh, Greg and I have discussed this before have a doctor on the show because of, you know 25 years ago Mark pitchers blew out their elbows 10 to 12 to 15 years ago it was rotator cuff surgery now that all seems to have moving into the ulnar collateral ligament and Tommy John surgery and it makes me wonder they're still throwing with the same the same motion. They're still throwing with the same ball. Why is it going from elbow to shoulder back to elbow now? Because I think it's it's the weightlifting. The you can when you have a big muscle like the shoulder, it's easier to keep that thing uh, firm in shape. When I was playing out in Arizona, uh, our trainer was the Oakland Athletics trainer. I've forgotten his name. I apologize. But he, he was our trainer for three or four years, and we'd go out there and play in the men's senior baseball league. And he was telling us the same thing. He said, these guys are now coming in. They're so strong. And their shoulders are staying not only in shape, but if they're injured, you can get them back in shape. But what that does, you put a big muscle, and you, and you, and you power that, that throw. What's going to happen is all that torque is going to be carried down to the elbow. And... That's why you know you can throw fastballs all day and you won't hurt your arm. You start throwing sliders on that motion or a changeup on that motion, and that's where guys are getting into trouble. So it's it's the smaller muscle of the elbow taking the brunt of all the weightlifting these kids are doing. I know Corey Kluber has the smoothest motion of anybody the Indians have, and the worst motion before he left was Jimenez, but now since Jimenez is gone, it's Trevor Bauer. He's got the worst motion of anybody. Who on the, the Reds, Mark, in your opinion, has the smoothest arm-friendly motion on their staff, and who has the worst arm-unfriendly motion on their staff? 
Well, I think the guy that could throw probably 15 or 16 innings every time out is Mike Leak. He's got a very compact, and Mike Leak is getting stronger. You can see his legs are thickening up. He's getting thicker in the neck and the shoulders. This guy reminds me of Greg Maddox. He's really getting, you know, a powerfully built body. The guy that scares the living heck out of me is Chapman. And I'm afraid there'll be a pitch that he's going to throw at 104 miles an hour, and it's going to break his humerus bone. And I'm not, I'm not being facetious. He had put such torque on his arm, and he's a tremendously strong young man. But you can't throw that hard that often and not do something to your arm sometime. And I don't know if the Reds are suspicious of that, which is why they made him a reliever again and not a starter. Uh, but if you, the answer to your question, he's the guy that scares me the most because I think with one pitch, his career could be over. Well, Mark, we've got two weeks to go before opening day. The the Reds open up at home as usual, and the Indians open up at night in Oakland. So, what do the managers look for over the next couple of weeks as far as an unknown player making this roster or not? What what are they going to do to 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 ascertain who's going to be on the roster or not? Well, I think at this point you can't play yourself onto a roster, but you can play yourself off a roster. And it's usually the guy like a Jason Jambi will get hurt or, uh, say, Ryan Ludwig uh, just does not hit at all. He's hitting 085 or whatever uh, going into the last week. Uh, there you might have some changes. But by and large, these teams knew what their opening day rosters were going to be uh, probably back in December. And you can tell by the amount of money they would put into a player. So I, I don't see many surprises like that anymore where you have a rookie coming out of nowhere and they, you know, they have a great spring and they're awarded a spot on the roster. Certainly the Reds don't have anybody doing that this year. And, and really, I can't remember the last time it's happened. Uh, Mike Leake, probably uh, four years ago, was the last Reds player to make that kind of move. But that was really because the Reds pitching staff was so bad that they had to have somebody step in and, and fill a role, which he did. And I can't remember the Indians having anybody like that recently, but you know better than I. Well, I mean, okay, right now what you've got is the Indians trying to make up their mind who's going to be the third baseman. I mean, this team has got some question marks. You know, they're going to they're going to platoon in right field between Murphy and Ryan Rayburn, but Michael Bourne now injuring his hamstring. It's doubtful he's going to be ready for opening day. So now they have to wonder, do they keep Niger Morgan and put him in the leadoff spot and put him in center field? Or do they go with Michael Brantley and keep a Jeff Francoeur and put him in left field? You know, there's a lot of things, like you said, that you can play your way off of a roster. And those are the type of things that I think Terry Francona is going to look at this week. Who's got the inside track mark on the utility infielder for the Reds? Uh, Sanchez, I think at shortstop, uh, he he's looked real good. He can play a number of positions, so I think he's going to you know get the get the nod there. Uh, again, the Reds the Reds have a very very solid team. They, they they lack that extra bat offensively at least right now, but they have a solid team. Uh, again, no surprises. Uh, the Reds don't 
concern me over the next two or three years, candidly. They're, they're, they're very solid. But beyond that, uh, I'm not sure the cupboard is filled enough in the minor leagues to help this team at all over the next two or three years. I know most Reds fans, or Indians fans, I should say, I'm sorry, are waiting with bated breath for the answer to this question. Where is Jack Hanahan? He's been hurt. He, he, unbeknownst to the Reds last year, he hurt his sh- his shoulder, and he had no power. He hit one home run last year, and I thought he was going to hit 10, 12 home runs. And they said that during the year he could barely make the throw from third to first, and he had surgery this over the off season. And they claim he has bat speed is much faster than it was last year. He's throwing much better. So hopefully he's going to be able to uh, make a contribution because he didn't make one last year for sure. <laughs> Boy, that's the quietest injury in the history of baseball. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, they, nobody knew about that one. Well, they were giving him some grief. You know, why didn't you tell us? And the answer is obvious. I wanted to play, and which is not exactly what the Reds wanted to hear. Mark, we're going to try to take some phone calls from the fans next week. What do you think? Hey, that's great. Look forward to it. Maybe we'll get our... Our, our friend from Germany to call us, uh, long distance, and uh, Gretchen, and, and make a contribution to our our, uh, our show next week. Just keep an eye out on UltimateSportsTalk.com. We'll be bringing you the number and the time that you can call in, but we're going to take phone calls from our fans next week on our Ask Us segment. Mark, two weeks before opening day. I'm getting excited. Well, I, I'm a little concerned about you, though, because of your TV access, so uh, I'll be... I'll be uh, Saying a silent prayer for you. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next week, Mark. Have a good week, Dave. A couple of house cleaning items before we let you go tonight. Don't forget the second annual NCAA basketball tournament challenge here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just send in your uh, brackets to Greg at UltimateSportsTalk.com. And Thursday night, we're going to be talking about the tournament on the Ultimate Sports Talk show. That begins at 7 o'clock here I'll be bringing that to you. But then again, Mark and I will be back next week with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, and we will be talking to you. It will be your chance to call in to our show next week. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for Gretchen over in Germany for tuning in tonight on the Internet. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, and most of all, our thanks to our guest tonight, For talking about the Dish Network situation, Kevin Kleps, the assistant editor for Crane's Cleveland Business. Our thanks to him and our thanks to you for listening. Talk to you again Thursday night, next Monday night here at 9 o'clock with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.